If you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 John. 1 John, we're going to start in chapter 2, starting with verse 18, picking up where we left off last week. First John, chapter 2, starting at verse 18. The Apostle John, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts today. This week, while I was messing around on the internet on one of my breaks, I don't know how I find such things, um, but I was listening to this TED talk from a contemporary clinical counselor. And she made this statement. Oh, I made a few statements. This is one of them. She said, we each operate in our own truth. She goes on to say that all truth is relative. You have your truth, and I have my truth. And she says we need to gain understanding of each other's truths, then move to tolerance. But friends, I ask you this morning, are there multiple truths? If you happened to look up here a few minutes ago, you would see my wife and I running around trying to do something, and we were trying to find a book for the kids' equipping hour. I didn't find the right page, so I'm not using it, but they talked about this in the kids' equipping hour this very morning, that there is one truth, 
In the postmodern mindset, there are multiple, but in a biblical worldview, there is one truth. Does what we believe matter? Or can we each have our own truth? And does what we believe about Christ matter? When we think about postmodernity, it gets into more, which is the idea of this, this relative truth, it gets into more than just philosophy, it gets into architecture. If you have a postmodern architect and you walk into a building and you see a building that has like a column that doesn't seem to have any purpose is standing there though on its own. And maybe there's like a building that is misshapen and kind of funky looking. And there's all these things, these architectural features that don't make any sense. That's postmodernity, relative architecture, I guess. But the interesting thing is Al Mohler has said is while a lot of people may want a postmodern architect, no one wants a postmodern engineer. No one wants an engineer where the sand-to-water-to-concrete ratio is relative. They want to make sure that you paid attention in that class. If you are going to a doctor or a surgeon and they're reading your x-rays, no one wants a doctor who's going to find their truth in your x-ray. You want them to read it correctly. If you've made three passes over Ketchikan and aren't landing because the fog is dense and you're hoping you're going to land this time, you're not wondering and hoping that the pilot would find his truth. You don't want a pilot that where airspeed is relative. Never flown a plane, but from what I know of aviation, airspeed's pretty important because you want to keep that plane moving through the air. So why do we take this relative truth mindset when we think about the creator of the universe? Why do we think we can mold the creator of the universe or how we are supposed to live this life as his people according to our wills? The false teachers that John writes about taught their truth that a person could walk in the darkness and still have assurance of salvation. That a Christian could walk in darkness even though God is light. Against this teaching, John states that the true Christian cannot walk in darkness and provides the church with three tests for Christians to examine their lives to see if they're truly in the faith. The first one, we could call the moral tests. Do you seek to obey God's commands? John doesn't say, are you perfect? None of us are perfect. But do you strive to do what God says in his words? Whereas Christ says, if you love me, you will obey my commands does that characterize you? The Christian lives a life that will look different from the rest of the world. The second test we saw was the love test or the social test. Do you love God's people? Not a mere warm-hearted sentimentality, but do you actually desire the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you want them to be in right standing with God? Are you willing to sacrifice your wants to meet their needs? The social test. Last week we saw that the true Christian grows in their faith. They should be encouraged as they overcome sin and their lives start to look like what the Bible says. Do you, just, <clears throat> do you elevate man's wisdom above God's word? Do you cling to the world? Do you cling to possessions? We saw all these things last week. We talked about secular counseling that says you have the answers within you. We've just talked about post-modernity that says all truth is relative and you have your truth. 
This week, we get to the third test, the doctrinal test. Do you believe what Scripture says about God and Jesus, or do you have your Jesus? Where does your understanding of Christ come from, the Bible or from you? Friends, we can disagree on the non-essentials, but what you believe about Jesus is a matter of life and death. You must know the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. You do not get your own Jesus. And as we examine the text, we are going to see that genuine Christians know the genuine Jesus. And because genuine Christians know the real Christ, those who go out from the church and orthodox faith were not Christians to begin with. Second, we will see that because Christians, genuine Christians, know the real Christ, they stick with the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And third, because genuine Christians know the real Christ, even when false teachers arise, they will continue to abide in Christ. So the first thing we see is that because genuine Christians know the real Christ, those who go out from the church and orthodoxy were not Christians to begin with. Would you look with me at verse 18? Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, I have learned in my time as a Christian that every time something gets crazy in the world, someone is bound to say, is going to say, we are living in the last days. What they're saying is they believe we are living in the days just before Christ's return. But what John is saying here is that all Christians, since the advent of Christ until the day he comes back, live in the last days. Whether that's 2,000 years or 3,000 or 4,000, until Christ comes back, we now live in the last days. And John states that in these last days, many antichrists will arise. But who is the antichrist? Well, maybe you grew up in a tradition that's always trying to find this one guy and saying, this guy, this is the antichrist. But that's nothing new. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, would call his enemies the antichrist. During the Reformation, the Reformers believed the Pope was the Antichrist. Just a few years ago, I heard someone say with great conviction that President Obama was the Antichrist. People are always trying to find this cosmic guy that's like going to oppose Jesus. But what does John say? Many Antichrists have come. Only John's letter even contained the name Antichrist. And in this context, John is saying it's those who oppose the work of Christ. If John wanted to talk about a false Christ or someone that was pretending to be a Christ, he could have used a different Greek word. But here he's talking about those who oppose Christ and his work. He is speaking of those whose teaching is fundamentally against Jesus, those who deny the true Christ. And against Christ, these against Christ teachers have gone out from the church. Look with me at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
but they went out, that it might be plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. Jerry and I were talking about this just the other day. Many a new preacher have gone to a new ministry only to find that when they start preaching the Bible, when they start preaching the Word, people start tripping over one another to get out the back door. We've read this about a man who's had a 50-year ministry in California. When he first went to his church and he started preaching the Bible, people were piling out the back door. I have a friend who's friends with a minister north of here, up in Palmer, I believe, who said that he's been at this church for four years, and he looked out one day at the congregation and noticed that there were only three people that were there when he began, that are still there. Three original members from when he got there. Why is that? Why is it that when someone starts preaching historic Christian doctrine in the Bible, people run? Because they don't want God's truth. You see, we can, we can play in American Christianity in a church that tickles our ears and who has carnivals and hands me a latte when I walk in the door. But when the Bible starts getting preached, people take a U-turn. Some people view the church as a social club. It's just carnivals and jumping castles. Some have itching ears. They want to be told things, nice things that they want to hear. But here, John distinguishes between those who left the faith and those who remain. And he says that those who left didn't really leave because they never really belonged. This makes me think of a story in church history, not church history, just in history. Germany was fighting a two-front war. They were fighting the Russians. Yes, it's a military illustration. They were teasing me before. They were fighting a, a two-front war. They were fighting the Russians on one hand and the Allies on the other. And in 1944, Hitler devised a plan. It was the last assault, Nazi assault of the war. And he was going to drive a wedge into the Allied army. It's called the Battle of the Bulge. They were successful in driving this wedge, and for a time, the paratroopers of the 101st Airborne were even surrounded in Bastogne. And within that operation, there was a smaller operation, codename Operation Grief. Now, for a time, the Nazi army had been secretly amassing men within their army that spoke English well, and they started training them. They started training them in the ways of the British and the American armies, and they they, they clothed them in captured British and American uniforms. They gave them captured British and American equipment. And during this Battle of the Bulge, they snuck through the lines and began to pose as Allied soldiers. Their goal was to wreak as much havoc on the Allies so that they could not counter the Nazi offensive. And in some ways, they were successful. Reports state that one commando team successfully convinced a U.S. Army unit to withdraw from a town in Belgium. Another Nazi team managed to switch the road signs, sending an entire regimental combat team in the wrong direction. But once the Allies discovered the Nazi operation, they began asking the troops, the troops they didn't know, questions that only Americans would know. What is the capital of Ohio? What is the football team in upstate New York? It's interesting that a captain, an American captain, spent a week in the brig because he was wearing captured German boots. 
My favorite story, though, is that one American general who was held at gunpoint for mistakenly stating that the Chicago Cubs were an American League baseball team. It said that when the private was holding the gun on the general, when the general responded to the private holding the gun on him, he said, yeah, that sounds like something a German would say. <laughs> it's even said that General Omar Bradley was drilled with such questions, somebody that most soldiers would have known. They probably enjoyed it a little too much. But these German imposters had folded themselves into the Allied ranks, and they caused mayhem and mass confusion. They did not stop the drive. The Allies broke the back of the enemy at Normandy, but they caused confusion and mayhem. They looked like American soldiers. They spoke our language, but they were not of us. And they asked these imposters things that only an American would know. In today's passage, we learn that what a Christian believes about Christ shows who they belong to. Like imposters, those who go out from the true church, from the genuine church, never belonged to the church to begin with. The Germans even knew how to pack their lucky strike cigarettes like an American. Likewise, some of you have learned to speak enough Christianese to where you don't stick out, but you've never truly been born again. John states, one of the things we know is that those who do not hold the biblical understanding of Jesus are not of the church. They're not of us. And the second thing we see is that because genuine Christians know the real Christ, they stick to the once and for all delivered faith. Look with me at verses 20 through 23. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we see in this passage that no lie is of the truth. So right out from the beginning, we have to admit that there is truth and there is falsehood, according to John, according to the Bible. It's not an alternate truth, but there are lies and there is truth. For John, it's black and white here when it comes to Christ. There are not multiple acceptable views of Jesus, but there is truth and there is error. Jesus is God in the flesh. He had to be fully God. He is fully God. There is never a time in which Christ did not exist. God the Son was there with God the Father when the universe was spoke into existence. He has always existed, and He will always exist. He has never given up His divinity. He has never given up His godness, but is always God. But He came to earth as a man. God in the flesh walked the life that you and I were called to walk and did not. Faithfully, he slept, he ate. Even after he rose from the dead, he ate fish with his followers. 
He had to be man to die in our place. Because man sinned, man must make atonement. God couldn't, Jesus could not be fully God and fully angel because we are not angels. He had to be fully man. There is no compromise on this truth. And true Christians know the truth, that no one who denies God the Son has God the Father. You cannot have fellowship with God if you do not confess Jesus Christ. A group or a ministry that denies the divinity of Christ, or a group or a ministry that denies the humanity of Christ, is not another sect of Christianity. They are not Christians at all. You must confess the Jesus of the Scriptures. To deny Jesus Christ in any form or function is, friends, capital H, heresy. No one who denies the Son has the Father. However, whoever confesses God the Son has God the Father. The one who is genuinely saved will not leave the church or the faith, but will endure to the end. It's a doctrine, an old Protestant doctrine called perseverance of the saints. A doctrine that says that all of those whom Christ saved will continue till the end. If Jesus Christ has saved you, you will continue in the faith until the end. You will finish well. You have assurance of faith. You have the, pro- what does it say in verse 26, 25? The promise of eternal life. John Stott says perseverance is the ultimate test of a person's faith. Friend, will you abide till the end? If you are a genuine Christian, you will. And because genuine Christians know the real Christ, even when false teachers arise, they continue to abide. Look with me at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. So we see here that those who abide in a Christ have eternal life. But we also see that there are those who are actively trying to deceive you then and now. Deceivers are active in their attempt. Friends, just in the past weeks, we have seen this. In our ministerial association, there is a current attempt by a group in our community to get Bethel theology, which questions the divinity of Christ, into our church. Into our churches. It was brought up in the January meeting. And I asked questions about it. And I was told it had nothing to do with Bethel. But upon research, it absolutely has everything to do with Bethel. And every major church of the city wrote down the name of this ministry that was at that meeting. 
One of the founders of this ministry is a graduate from the Bethel School of Supernatural Shenanigans. Another is credentialed by his multiple dead raisings. That's how they credentialed him. He's raised multiple people from the dead. He didn't have any video evidence, but that's his credentials. You can't make this stuff up. And it was presented to the ministers of our community. What does John say? They are actively trying to deceive you. Instead of chasing new teaching, we are called to stick with the once and for all faith delivered to the saints, Jude 3 through 4. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. The word abide is used four or five times in this passage. John says, let it abide in you. And the message that the church has heard from the beginning has not changed, my friends. Christianity does not evolve. We are called to stick with the old gospel. John Stott says every Christian must be conservative in their theology. God does not change. Neither does his word. Do not have itching ears. Don't run to teachers that tell you what you want to hear. Run to teachers that teach what the Bible says. John Sott says the continuous desire for the latest ideas is the mark of an Athenian, not a Christian. Talking about Paul in the book of Acts. The Athenians always want to hear something new, right? Stay with the truth. Two safeguards we see in this text to keep you from error. The first one is the Word of God. The Word of God. That which you have heard from the beginning in verse 24. All Scripture is authored by God. We see that 2 Timothy 3.16. It's all theopneustos, right? It's all breathed out by God. Peter says the men didn't write down the things they wanted. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we'll see later in this book of the Bible, we are to test all thoughts and all teaching according to God's word. The second safeguard is we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says the anointing that dwells where? In you. What is John talking about? He's talking about all believers, all genuine Christians have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That happens at the moment of conversion. The moment you become a Christian, you are indwelt, you are marked by the Holy Spirit. So when we, we see some of these contemporary uh, groups or whatever saying, we need to pray down the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I appreciate the sentiment, but friend, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is here because you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave when you mess up. And James Boyce says, because Christians have the indwelling's Holy Spirit, they have within themselves the means of exploring the Bible and thus dividing truth from error. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. God's Word is truth. Now, there's a weird verse. I almost don't want to take the time to look at it, but I feel like I should. Um, where at the end of the text where he says, you have no need that anyone teach you but the anointing teaches you about everything. Friends, we've got to read that verse in its context and what John is talking about. He's talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit being able to guide you in the Scriptures and, and, and show you and, and give you that sort of Christian spidey sense when something's wrong. He is not saying that you're not going to have teachers. He is not saying that you don't need to study the Bible, right? Because the rest of the New Testament talks about people being gifted as teachers and exhorting people to the faith. 
but the Spirit will guide you into all truth. So just by way of a short application, I want to think here about what are the non-essentials, I mean, what are the essentials of Christianity? What things must you believe to be a part of the community of faith? I say that, and many others have said, that the non-negotiables at a minimum are the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Christ, the authority of Scripture, and justification by faith. So we have the Trinity, that God is three and one, one and three. One God in three persons, right? So God does not show up sometimes as the Holy Spirit and show up sometimes as the Son and sometimes He's the Father, but is all three. One God in three persons. Trinitarian is Christianity. The full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. If you have a Jesus Christ who lays aside his divinity so that you can do the things he has done, that is outside the faith. If you have a Jesus Christ that is only God so that he didn't leave footprints on the sand and he just appeared to be crucified but wasn't actually crucified as a substitution for our sin, that is not Christianity. Justification by faith. If you have a religion that says you need to earn God's salvation that you need to do things to be saved. That is outside of the Christian faith. We are called to obedience, but we are not called to earn. And the authority of Scripture, I don't think we have to go very far into that. The denial of any of these, and you do not have Christianity, but you have a different religion altogether. Friends, truth and doctrine matter. It's not your truth, it's not my truth, but it's the truth. Where is truth found? God's word is truth, John 17, 17. Genuine Christians know the genuine Jesus. And because genuine Christians know the real Christ, those who go out from the church and orthodoxy were not Christians to begin with. Because genuine Christians know the real Christ, they stick with the once and for all delivered faith. And third, because Christians, genuine Christians, know the real Christ, even when false teachers arise, they continue to abide in Christ. This morning, are you the one that knows enough Christianese to pass? Are you the one that knows enough of the right stuff? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've just been hanging around a while. But you have never put your faith in Christ. Are you the one trying to pass off in an army to which you do not belong or wear a uniform that is not yours? Friend, if you are, my encouragement to you today is to repent and believe the gospel. To turn from your sin, from yourself, and turn to Christ. This Jesus Christ that we have talked about, the Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, Turn to him. It's imperative that you turn today because hell is a real place, as real as this room we're in. And if you are here, and you, or you, well, you obviously are here, but if you're here and you are a Christian, friend, stick with the once and for all delivered faith. 
stick with that which you have received from the Bible. Sure, the flavor might change. We, maybe we don't sing out of hymn books. Maybe we read out a different translation of the Bible. Maybe some of those things change. The flavor might change, but the core does not. Don't run after new temptations. Know the faith. Cling to the faith. Because true Christians know the genuine Christ.